Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Hi, it's Don Johnson here again with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. In this edition, we are offering an interview with David DeBrain, a South African pastor, focusing on his frontline article, Christian Choices and Reproductive Technologies. Now, David's topic touches an area that presents many Christians with challenging questions. We certainly have sympathy for anybody who desires to have children and is exploring these questions, looking for some answers. We do hope that David's discussion in the article and in the interview are helpful to you and help you to think through this, at at least. Uh, This article appeared in our January-February edition of Frontline, entitled uh, Biblical Counsel for Medical Choices. We've interviewed most of the authors who appeared in that issue, and uh, we found it quite stimulating and interesting to go through all these topics. Now, this is one of our earlier interviews. We're using Zoom and uh, some technology uh, upgrades since then have improved a little bit our recording quality, so I hope that you will bear with any glitches that might occur in this particular interview. Now, as far as our magazine frontline, we plan uh, future editions to address other timely topics. The current issue coming out soon is on gender choices. I'm sure you'll want to uh, look into that one. We'll be having interviews from those authors soon. Uh, we do encourage you to subscribe to the magazine. You can subscribe uh, directly through our uh, website, fbfi.org, or you can buy a subscription to our Substack. And with the Substack subscription, you can read the articles that we feature through the interviews right away. If you buy an annual subscription to our Substack, we will also include a print subscription to the magazine as well. So we hope that you will... Uh, in one way or another, subscribe to the magazine. It's very, we think it's very helpful and timely, and that's what we're after with that. Here's David DeBrain talking about reproductive technologies. All right, welcome to David DeBrain. Now, how do you say your last name? I forgot to ask you that. How do you say that? Yep, DeBrain is correct. DeBrain, okay, all right. So the name has, you have a Dutch heritage, and my wife comes from the Dutch of Mi- who immigrated to Michigan, so we have la- names like that in the family tree. So, uh, right. uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, David, and your ministry and your background and so forth? Yeah, well, I came to Christ uh, quite young, uh, around at the age of nine or ten. I attended uh, Independent Baptist Church that was in the inner city of Johannesburg. And they had um, an Awana program. So it was there that I first, coming from a secular family, um, heard the gospel, memorized John 3.16, and at a young age uh, turned from my sin and embraced Christ as Savior. Mm. So I I, uh, really just then grew up um, attending church whenever I could. Uh, My family was not a believing family, but that gave me a foundation uh, and then several years later, I uh, attended seminary both in South Africa and in the United States. And uh, I've been pastoring New Covenant Baptist Church since 2003. So we're going on 20 years this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, 
Um, so I, I'm the lead pastor there. I do some work on the radio and, and I've written some things online. But um, I'm thankful to be used that way. Um, I'm married to Erin, who's from Minnesota. And we have three children, Jack, Chris, and Caitlin. Um, and uh, we're, we're thriving and happy and flourishing in ministry. Oh, praise the Lord. It's, uh, that's, uh, uh, it's an, in- it's interesting to hear about uh, how you came to the Lord. And, you know, sometimes those Awana workers don't think much is going on with all those little kids that are running around in there. And yet the Lord uses those ministries and things like that to, to, uh, do, do his work. So praise the Lord for that. Well, you've written an article which, uh, I'm not sure, yeah, you sort of, many of the articles in this issue of Frontline have been, uh, uh, taking a pretty, uh, a challenging topic and yours is no less. It's Christian choices and re- reproductive technologies. So what we're going to do first is maybe you can just give us a little summary of what your article's about and we'll talk about the content and then we talk about a little bit more after that. Yeah, so um, this was an article which would certainly offend someone. <laughs> uh, it was just uh, almost impossible to um, to not because the uh, the topic of reproductive technologies is just such a uh, contentious one, and in so many ways a, a complex one. Because like many ethical issues, uh, the Bible hasn't spelt out for us in clear. Uh, command form or in the form of precepts that, that which we are supposed to do on this topic. We have to find our way through discernment, through applying biblical principles. And moreover, we have to apply them to continually changing technologies, which adds to the complexity. Mm-hmm. So what I attempt to do in this article is, is first of all, just lay a biblical basis for the whole topic of bioethics which is the the science of uh, fertility treatments, uh, prevention of fertility, but it it even goes into areas such as DNA manipulation, um, DNA editing, bionics, uh, organ transplants, stem cell research, cloning. So it really has a very, very large area. I'm not dealing with all of those, but I am dealing with uh, the bioethical domain. So just for a, a little, for a few moments, I, I just talk about um, the whole question of uh, human life, the dignity of human life biblically, that we're made in God's image. And that means that from a Christian point of view, bioethics needs to be in submission to God. Mm-hmm. That what really differentiates a Christian view from a secular view is that we don't see ourselves as creators, as those that are uh, designing or redesigning the very purpose of human life. So we already have a, a, a framework within which Christians should work, which is to find the natural use of man and woman um, and uh, human life. Having done that, I then proceed into looking at some broad principles regarding procreation, what the Bible says about the goodness of human life and the goodness of fertility. I then look at some biblical principles regarding contraception. Does the Bible say anything about preventing contraception? Uh, when do we cross the line? When does it become sinful? 
Um, and, uh, and then likewise with fertility treatments, encouraging or strengthening fertility, what scripture would say about that. In each of the cases, I'm trying to find biblical principles that outline the general idea. And then as close as I can talking about whether the applications of these are clearly sinful or clearly wrong in any way, mm-hmm. uh, while leaving space for conscience on several of the topics. So that's, yeah. that's really a broad outline of the article. I think that's, that's very important. And I think in the, right near the beginning of your article, you, I think this is a quote from you, your, yeah, I think it is for sure. You said the question is clouded by our emotions. And, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, people who, um, have, ha- aren't able to have children for some reason, uh, and we, we sympathize, we sympathize with those people. And, you know, like praise the Lord that you have children. I have children. I have grandchildren. We love them all. And I know that people who, many people I know who have been childless and would have liked to have had children. So, so the emotional aspect is one thing that can very much cloud our judgment. Right. Yeah, the standpoint that we have on this can sometimes predetermine the answers that we're looking for. Um, as you say, a, a childless couple would be bewildered at the very concept of Christians seeking to prevent conception, or at least uh, they, they could feel sensitive over that. Um, on the other side of it, you, you can have the reverse situation. So our standpoint really does influence how we perceive this, which makes it difficult. Um, none of us are purely objective, mm-hmm. but we, we can seek to be honest. Um, right. And that means we all seek to be even-handed with the biblical data and at the very least um, seek to say that we've dealt with it fairly. Um, mm-hmm. we, we may disagree where we think those uh, biblical conclusions point or lead, but in ethical issues, it's um, the temptation is to always pursue what we think is a clear black and white answer, clear up the conclusion, give a kind of a smackdown answer. But the nature of ethical questions is they do end up being conscience questions. Uh, mm-hmm. Not all of them, some of them. Uh, there are issues that I outline in the article which are obviously wrong. But then there are areas which are not. And it is difficult for us as Christians to extend that kind of deference to the conscience of other believers. That's true. And and when you talk about those things that God uh that makes things clearly wrong, a couple of the principles that you laid out is the principle of the sanctity of life. So anything that's going to you know destroy life seems to cross a line for us. That in that respect, and then there's also, you know, simply the sovereign God who rules over us all. And at some point, we have to ex- accept the place that He's put us in this life, uh, and and that, you know, as a, you know, a, a, the technology may allow us to do certain things, but just because we can doesn't mean we should. So, right. 
Yeah, you know, the goal of medicine from a Christian point of view would be to serve God and love our neighbor, not to rebel against God in a kind of a Babel-like independence, uh, mm-hmm. pursuing our very own view of reality. Um, and that's what secular humanism does. Secular humanism pursues a completely independent worldview in which the ends do justify the means. Um, right. You know, the destruction of human beings so as to pursue an advanced human being or the destruction of multiple fertilized uh, ovum so as to get at least one. Uh, that type of pragmatism comes out of a worldview that does not see each human being as made in the image of God and mm-hmm. therefore possessing uh, value commensurate with the image of God. Right. So uh, we have very different views um, in competition here, though they share the same medical space. Mm-hmm. That's the difficulty. Um, you know, we, we got we've got people with almost opposite religions in the same operating theater, uh, and um, and I think that's a, a real key divide. Right. Well, one of the things that you said in there, we were you were talking when we went into the area, of, uh, or your your article goes into the area of contraception which you state uh, basically is not, it's not, uh, there's nothing that uh, we can say that makes it wrong in itself, although it is, I know Christians have argued th- that point. Um, in fact, I think my wife, uh, she was taking ethics at Bob Jones, and she wrote a paper on this and argued that it was unethical to use any contraception. And, uh, that got a rise out of some of her associates, but the uh, uh, but I think I think that broad, broadly speaking, we can say that the Bible doesn't directly prohibit contraception. But then you bring up a couple of you know people. Well, technology has now produced chemical solutions. Some of those chemical solutions clearly destroy a fertilized egg. Uh, um, egg. Uh, others. Uh, we're not certain if they do. And that makes it even more, you know, the dilemma becomes, becomes very difficult for, uh, for Christians to navigate that. Right. That, that's the great difficulty. Um, in theory, a contraception which simply extends a, a woman's uh, natural period of infertility is not violating any law of God. Uh, um, the, any technology that destroys a fertilized zygote is. And the gray area is when we have a debate over whether certain contraceptives do just that. Mm-hmm. There's no question, for example, about the drug RU486, the um, morning after pill. There's no question this mm-hmm. is this destroys a fertilized zygote. There's no amb- ambiguity here at all. This is murder, plain and simple. Yeah. This is abortion the morning after. Mm-hmm. The, the ambiguity lies in um, the the more regular contraceptive pills, and they do come in all different kinds and sorts. And the question there is whether an unintended uh, abortificient um, consequence may take place. In other words, you have a, a, a breakthrough fertilized ovum where the, the, because the uterus is thinned out, 
Um, the, the fertilized ovum doesn't implant, and if that is the case, you get the equivalent of an abortion. Now, here is where there is great debate, and, and I bring this out in the article when uh, James Dobson put together a Physicians Resource Council, um, and for, for two years they went over the question over whether the regular contraceptive pill has an abortifacient effect. Um, the majority said no. Uh, a significant minority said yes, and therefore the the average Christian is now left perplexed. We either have to go with the consensus of a majority of Christian doctors who said no, there's a slight chance but very little, or we have to err on the side of the minority that said if there's even a chance, we shouldn't mm-hmm. go this route at all. That leaves us fundamentally with a conscience issue, uh, a conscience issue, trusting consensus or erring on the side of caution. Um, And and that is not something scripture rules on because we do both in everyday Mm -hmm. life. We rely on consensus and we err on the side of caution. Yes, yes. And, And when it comes to a conscience decision like that, you know, really... I think that, well, let's put it this way. Sometimes Christians will, uh, they will become, they will come to their own position, but then that, that becomes the Bible. And so they will, mm-hmm. they may, uh, beat up other Christians who disagree on an area right. that we're not certain. So we should give people some room. Right. You know, Paul says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So we expect you to be fully persuaded of your position, but we don't expect you to be absolutely dogmatic that your position is the only position. Of course, you think your position is right, as you should on a question of conscience. The, the, The issue is, can you step back to say, given the ambiguity and the sophistication of the question, I allow that other Christians could come to that position, which I do not share, but I see how they could have arrived at it. Right. Uh, that is the purity that Paul is calling on us to have in Romans 14, where mm-hmm. we can have literally diametrically opposite convictions, but mm-hmm. be fully persuaded that our brother and sister is doing it as unto the Lord. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's the, that is challenging. And I think for, often as people study these type of topics, sometimes they may come to a point where they're, they, they're very convicted about their own past decisions. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we need some compassion to reach out and, you know, God, God knows better than all of us. And even if we've erred, he, w- he's willing, you know, we call to him, right? And he'll take us back. So. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I think we, we want to say that that um, there's nothing wrong with people sharing their testimonials of, of what the Lord's done, because that can help shape other people's decisions. Uh, we need each other. The yeah. body needs the body. So we need one another to share that so that we make fully informed decisions. Uh, when when all is said and done, though. Part of dwelling in the body is accepting that we have unity without complete uniformity. Right. Um, we we get to have the same mind in Christ without sharing absolutely every opinion. Right. Exactly. And 
Uh, now, I want to move over to the, the later part of the article. You're talking more about the fertility treatments. And I, I, this is an area I'm not, I mean, I've heard about it. And you hear about the in vitro fertilization and things like this. There's certainly some big ethical questions with that. But uh, are you uh, are you aware of the, any treatments that or fertility uh, enhancements that people try to go through that that don't involve the creation of multiple embryos? Yes, of course, there's uh, fertility treatments that uh, focus uh, hormonally in their treatments. So they essentially try to jumpstart the body in certain ways. They try to create ideal conditions for fertilization. So there's there's forms of fertility treatment that focus um, on as much as possible, either through natural means or through chemical means, to really allow the body to be in as uh, good a position as possible. Um, there, are, there are certainly fertility treatments where um, it is not the fertilization of multiple over. Um, it is the fertilization of one, and that is a, a different technology. So, again, fertility treatments vary in uh, in what they're doing. And that is why a Christian couple pursuing them simply needs to do their homework uh, mm-hmm. before they talk to their medical practitioner to understand uh, what's being done in each of these. Uh, is there a danger here of human life being taken unnecessarily or at all? Because human mm-hmm. life should never be sacrificed for, for any reason. So uh, it really, because these fertility treatments are developing so quickly and so many are coming out, uh, it really just requires that that a, a Christian couple pursues as much knowledge as possible on the particular treatment they're, um, they're pursuing. Yeah, I think that that's uh, really good advice. I mean, we do need to, we do need to know what we're talking about uh, in order to make a wise decision because wisdom is based on knowledge for sure. Um, right. Uh, now, uh, I'm just looking up, uh, okay, oh, let me ask you this. Were there things that, that you, you know, you had limited space. Was there anything that you would have wished you could have added to the article that you didn't have space for? Well, I, I think, um, you, you, you're trying to touch on as much as possible and, and trying to get as practical as possible. So I think if I'd had more space, I, I would have just listed, um, almost every technology that's out there, um, and, and had a comment on that. But that's kind of uh, almost just, um, uh, trying to go up an escalator coming down because mm-hmm. the technologies are coming almost as quickly as, as we can uh, write on them. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I then really felt the, the best, best approach is to provide as many timeless principles and mm-hmm. timeless uh, truths that um, a wise, discerning, and diligent Christian can apply to a developing technology. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, that's what I, I, I hope to do. I think I managed to, to do that. Um, otherwise, I think probably uh, more extended opinion, I, I think I probably would have gotten lost in the details. That's true, yes. 
Yeah, that. Yeah, like you say, there's 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 no end to the technology that uh, is being developed, and and that can be uh, sometimes that's overwhelming even by itself. But uh, the basic principles that we're you know, like, uh, the doctor's principle, do no harm, you know, and, and also the, the value of human life and then the sovereignty of God are all factors that come into play as we examine the technologies. Right. Um, I, I think well, I, I possibly would have, have just pursued a little further the question of when God presents something as a blessing, he is not necessarily presenting that as an imperative. So I, I did do that, um, but I think in especially in in conservative Christian circles, there is a tendency to make a logical leap from where God says this is a good thing to then saying this is a required thing. Right. Um, and as they, as we say in hermeneutics, descriptions don't become prescriptions. As as the Lord tells us that it is a good thing to have children, it is a blessing in some ways, from a certain point of view, it is a normal thing. We can infer from that 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 is the normal course of life for married couples and should be pursued. As as I tell premarital couples in my own church, I say don't get married if you're not ready to have children, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's a normal part of, of marriage. But that is still a step away from saying you must have as many children as you can. Uh, and if you in any way obstruct that process, you are on the wrong side of God's law, of God's sovereignty and of God's plan for your life. There, I think we've, uh, we've committed an interpretive error and we've committed an applicational error. Right. Now, another way that people try to you know, satisfy the yearning for children is through adoption. And of course, that's a, that can be a great blessing, both of the parents and the child. Uh, however, one of the things that occurred to me, uh, I don't know exactly what the status is in, in South Africa, but in Canada and in the USA, uh, the authorities seem to be taking a more dim view of conservative Christians. <laughs> so it may become very challenging for uh, a couple in our culture, a, a believing couple to, to adopt a child. And that might create a, a motivation to try some of these other options. Um, I wonder if you could comment on adoption and, and how it plays into this whole picture. Yeah, I, I think adoption is a is a wonderful option, and um, and in so many ways has so many shades of the gospel in it. Um, God bringing us into His family, we who were strangers and aliens, we weren't natural born children of God, uh, brought into the family of God, given all the status and privileges of the firstborn. Um, and so, when adoption takes place, it's just a wondrous. Uh, uh, description and illustration and living metaphor of, uh, of salvation. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, it is, it's a, a tremendous thing. Many couples, many Christian couples in, in our circles here in South Africa have done that. 
Um, and it is a real testimony and a witness to the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it is a childless couple, whether it's a couple struggling with fertility, or even a couple who has natural-born children and feels that they uh, want to uh, be part of this and, and be a, a huge blessing to a child, uh, turn back the abortion plague, give less uh, fuel to their, um, all of those kinds of arguments, uh, I think it's a it's an excellent thing. Um, it comes with its own challenges. It comes with uh, it, it, often even a cross cultural challenge. It comes with uh, certainly in South Africa, and uh, so you know adoptive or um, potential adoptive parents need to sit down with their pastors. They need to work through the topic. They need to think through what it will mean mm-hmm. um, because it has all own uh, challenges and complexities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, though, I think Christians are leading the charge in this, certainly in my own anecdotal experience, mm-hmm. and it's a tremendous thing to see. So um, I'm all for it. I support it. I encourage it. I think mm-hmm. it's always a valid option, uh, almost always, for, mm-hmm. uh, for parents who are struggling with this. Right. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with all of that. Um, I guess, uh, let me just check our time here. We're doing pretty good and we're probably nearing the end. I wonder if, um, my, the last question I put on here, uh, how, how should childless parents reconcile themselves to their lot in life, achieving contentment with the lot the Lord has given them? So maybe you could address the idea of contentment. Uh, it might be. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, I can, I can very much sympathize. I can see how a person would have, you know, yeah. regrets and longings and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tremendous pain, uh, and, uh, and, and deep, uh, sense of loss for a couple that, that cannot conceive. And if they choose to not go, uh, the adoptive route or if they choose, um, to, to, if the fertility treatments are either too costly or they don't pursue them, then, then that couple may very well live with a, a sense of loss, a sense of grief. I think, uh, some things for the couples to bear in mind are the following. Number one, God made marriage not primarily for children, but for companionship. Mm-hmm. Uh, marriage is for because it is not good for man to be alone. Whether mm-hmm. that aloneness is involved through friendship, through society, or through marriage, it is pr- the primary goal of marriage. And in, in and in the faith and in the body of Christ, it's spiritual companionship. Mm-hmm. And therefore, though there is a great grief of there not being children, um, the primary purpose of the marriage is still intact, which is to provide loving companionship and joy for each other all their days. Mm-hmm. A second thing to bear in mind is that uh, when Peter asked Christ what he would receive for having given up so much, the Lord told him that he would receive fathers, mothers, children, brothers, sisters uh, in this life and in the life to come. Mm-hmm. And many interpreters, and I'm one of them, assume that to mean that within the church we gain much of what we lose when we come to Christ. Uh, even though we may have family that turns from us and we may have broken relationships with regards to the world, in Christ we now 
experience surrogate fathers and mothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, and yes, children. And so I would encourage the childless couple to heartily and fully embrace the local church, yeah. uh, to pour themselves into service and thereby have many, as it were, children who they uh, invest in, who they disciple, whether it's in the children's ministries, whether it's just loving other families through hospitality. But there, I believe that the, the couple is going to receive a large measure of consolation and a large measure of the experience of parenting through their discipleship of others and younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, and many a childless couple and, and even many empty nesters have come to find great consolation through their service of the body of Christ, mm-hmm. where young people come through and now uh, turn to them for guidance and wisdom. Yeah. And there I would uh, really encourage that couple to see the promise of Christ, uh, that our loss can be turned to a gain. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, as you say, the local church is in many ways God's uh, as first step of healing the broken creation, mm-hmm. you know, there, right. I, I look at our own, uh, church and we see, we have different ones. Some have children and some don't, but they, there's a real building of relationships and families have, you know, the family, we have a church family. It really is true. It's not just a term we use. We, we really have a developed right. something. So praise the Lord for that. Well, that's a, it's an incredibly difficult topic to, because people, you know, it touches on people's emotions. And I appreciate your taking the time to go over this thorny issue. And, uh, I trust, I hope our, uh, listeners or viewers will, uh, will take the time to read the article, subscribe to Frontline. That's part of why we're doing this. We want uh, to boost our subscriptions and, uh, we're going to be, uh, working on, uh, making more material like this available. Is there anything you'd like to say to wrap up, uh, David, as we finish up the discussion today? Yeah, I just want to encourage Christian couples to trust in the sufficiency of Scripture and the sovereignty of God, that whatever side of the fence you might lie on this question, that as um, as Someone said to me on my ordination council, he quoted John 8.29, the words of Christ, I always do the things that please him. If we seek to please God in this area by applying scripture faithfully, uh, we can trust that the sovereignty of God and the sufficiency of scripture will guide us. We won't necessarily arrive at exactly the same positions, but we can have confidence that when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, we won't be ashamed that we will have done our best with what we had to be good stewards of our bodies, of our time, and certainly of the truth that God gave us. So I want to encourage perplexed couples um, to trust in the sufficiency of Scripture, do their homework, uh, and then make wise decisions trusting that, as Scripture says, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. And thank you very much again for the article and then, and taking the time to do this. Well, thank you for the privilege. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. 
If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast. <laughs>